Talk of you sinners. All right, please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, um, John chapter 9. Uh, we have completed the amazing chapter 8, the amazing chapter 6, the amazing all of it, man. The Gospel of John's just been wonderful. Uh, and we're in um, chapter 9 and starting in verse 1. And this is God's Word, John 9, verse 1. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, for many years, uh, the early years of our marriage, I had a uh, burglar defense uh, system uh, that involved this flashlight. Actually, this is the... Joey gave me this flashlight. He updated my, uh, he updated my old mag light with an LED. Um, yeah. But uh, here was my plan. I was going to come out if I heard a burglar in the night. I was going to come out, you know, buck naked for effect. And, uh, and I was going to have this thing in my hand like this. And uh, this was my plan. He's coming down the hall, and I was going to give him the old, hey, 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 freak him out. And then it was going to be, go low for the racquetball shot. And you know how you whip snap your racket? It was going to be, bam to the knees, bam to the stomach, boom to the head. And that's pretty good, huh? And I practiced it. That was my burglar thing. That was my thing. But, of course, now my plan changed. It's a 357 Magnum. I don't even have a flashlight in the bedroom anymore. But... Uh, yeah, yeah. But, but, the, the, but the, the plan was, the key was, the light was going to be the thing. The light was going to be the thing. The light was going to mess him up. Uh, the light was going to bes- dispel the darkness and, uh, and uh, crush the bad guy. Well, uh, what's the uh, big idea today? The big idea is this. Um, the light of the world has come to confront the darkness of the world. The darkness is the enemy. The light dispels the darkness. The darkness attacks the light. And uh, Jesus has come to confront the darkness. Now we leave chapter eight um, with the with the uh, religious Jewish leadership quite at odds with Jesus. I don't know if you remember this, but uh, in verse fifty nine of chapter eight, so they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. That wasn't just like pebbles to to sting him. That was rocks to kill him. They were trying to kill Jesus. They picked up stones, the religious leadership, to kill him. And so you've got this uh, actual um, uh, darkness and this spiritual picture of darkness, uh, Jesus' confrontation with the dark. This is throughout the gospel. This is throughout Jesus' earthly ministry. The dark doesn't like Jesus. It doesn't like light shining on them. And uh, John, the gospel writer, picks this next story right after chapter 8 for for a couple different reasons. Number one, it happened. All right, and so it happened in succession. John, the gospel writer, puts this in here. This is probably days after um, what took place at the end of chapter eight. All right, but 
It actually happened. But also remember, it's not um, just a history book. It is history. This is history. This did actually happen. This actually happened in order. Uh, But it's more a theological history than it is a textbook history. It's a theological history. And so John, the gospel writer, is no dummy. He's taking what he just wrote. He knows what he just wrote. He didn't take a week off like we did and come back to it. He knows what he just wrote. He knows what he's hooking to what he just wrote, and he's doing this on purpose. Uh, The dark does not like Jesus. Uh, They have picked up stones to kill him. Uh, So this is not a, 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 a textbook. It's a treasure map for finding God. And so we move from chapter 8, which closes with a rejection uh, by the world of the light of the world, and then it moves into chapter 9, and there's this flip. Chapter 9, we see the light of the world seeking out someone in darkness. I mean, it is a vivid uh, picture story. Uh, So let's look at it together. Uh, Our first of three points, born blind. It does us well to cement that in our minds, that this man was born blind. Look at verse 1. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. Uh, Look at verse 2. They say, Rabbi, who sinned this man and his parents, that he was born blind. If you skip ahead to verse 19, Jesus asked them, uh, excuse me, not Jesus, the Jewish leadership asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. There's one more in verse 32. Um, Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. It just doesn't say a blind dude. It says repeatedly that he was born blind. Do you think that there's something in there that we're supposed to see? Uh, I think so. He did not have a horrible accident in shop class. Um, He did not uh, stare at the sun too long. He did not have some ability or partial sight. It was a total sight loss. It was blackness. He was born blind. Uh, As I said earlier, there's an intentional connection that the writer wants us to see, uh, ultimately, the Holy Spirit of God. He wants us to see this contrast. In chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Okay? Uh, what hooks that to chapter 9? Well, in chapter 9, verse 5, he says, I am the light of the world. <laughs> I mean, you, th- you think that we're supposed to see these things. John's, John's recording them so that we go, oh, these things kind of hook together, and they contrast. I'd say that's noteworthy. Um, then uh, notice that also that in chapter 8, Jesus is rejected. He's rejected. He's hated. The light of the world is cast out. They don't want him. But in chapter 9, uh, in verse 38, to skip ahead, um, we'll get to this in a couple weeks, but um, in verse 38, um, this guy says, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. This guy, the blind guy, is not only physically healed, but he's spiritually healed. He becomes a believer. In fact, when they question him, um, what do they say that? Yeah, yeah. They revile him uh, in verse 28, and they say, you are his disciple, uh, but we are disciples of Moses. I mean, they recognize that this guy's a convert. Not only has he been physically healed, but he believes in Jesus. And here it says, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped Jesus. And by the way, as a little side note, that's another indication of Jesus' uh, self-awareness. He knows he's divine. He doesn't say, oh, no, 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 don't worship me. Oh, I'm just a prophet, like Islam says, don't worship me. No, he, he, he doesn't, he doesn't uh, 
He doesn't deflect the worship. He receives the worship. There's nothing in here where Jesus would respond against that. Um, the, the guy says, I believe, and he worshiped Jesus. My point is um, that there's a real story happening here. This is a real historical narrative. It's really happening, and yet there's a spiritual parallel that the Holy Spirit of God wants us to see, linking together chapter um, 8 and 9. Now, back to that stuff about being born blind. It's very interesting. I'm squiggling away from my notes a little bit, but uh, you know there are a lot of miraculous things that happened in the Old Testament, but you know what never happens in the Old Testament? No one's ever cured of blindness. Um, and, um, and yet, um, there are prophetic uh, utterances toward the blind getting sight, but it never happens in the, in the Old Testament. I'll tell you something else about the Old Testament, about being born blind. Um, Isaiah 48.8, uh, in the King James Version, it says this, you were a transgressor from the womb. Well, that's quite a diagnosis, isn't it? Uh, that's, that's, the, uh, that, that's the King James Version. Here's the ESV. From before birth, you were called a rebel. You know, it's amazing to me. I, I think that uh, so many Christians in so many theological circles pop out and they think, oh, well, you know, uh, we were born innocent and then at some point we sin and then there's a problem. That is not true. From, from before you were born, you were called a rebel. Straying from my notes again, I love this story. R.C. Sproul, no matter where you stand on baptism, okay, you may come from a dunking situation, you may come from a sprinkling situation. One is more on the work of Jesus Christ, one is more on the birth of the Holy Spirit, a baptism of the Spirit. Different things, but um, Bible-believing Christians who love God's Word can uh, agree to have... Uh, have um, accord with one another, uh, uh, tolerance with one another over, over two different biblical positions that can be supported. But so all to say, R.C. Sproul goes to um, a church to baptize some baby as, as, you know, daughter's kid or somebody. And uh, they, they come up to him beforehand and they hand him a, they hand him a white rose. And they say, it's, our, it's a Presbyterian church, PCA church somewhere. They hand him a white rose and they go, uh, here you go, Dr. Sproul, here's a white rose. And he goes, a white rose? What do you do with this? And they say, well, it's our custom after we baptize a baby to hand the, the, the parents a white rose. It's our custom here at this church. And R.C. Sproul goes, a white rose? You ought to hand him a black rose. You get that? You ought to hand him a black rose because from the womb he was called a rebel. How about this in 19, uh, Psalm, 19, Psalm 51? Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. That's not saying that his mom was skanky. It's saying that he was brought forth from the womb in iniquity. He was born in sin because Adam, our federal head, fell. And all the descendants of Adam were born into sin. The sin problem, we're born into it. We're born in this world in need of a Savior. And so when a baby's baptized out there, don't give him a white rose, give him a black rose. And pray for their salvation because they need a Savior. The point is that we're in a non-reversible situation. We're born into this world, not some sweet little uh, sweetie pie that never sinned. Uh, we're born doomed if there really is a God who is holy, holy, holy. Ephesians 2 verse 3 says we were by nature children of wrath. That's called fallenness. That's why all sermons should have a fallen condition focus. Without that, the gospel has no punch so again, you've got a real occurrence here, a man born blind, but there's a spiritual undertone that is deeply entrenched in the Old Testament. Look at verse 2. His disciples asked him, 
Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Well, we'll talk about Jesus' answer uh, in our next point, okay? But the disciples ask a freighted question indeed. They see this man born blind, and they go, hey, who sinned, this man or his parents? Now, um, that, that's a good question. That's a relevant question, because I think people have things that um, go wrong in their lives, and they have challenges, and they go, what did I do to deserve this? I know I must have done something, and, it, and uh, th- this is God punishing me. Well, you don't know what God is doing. You don't know what's happening in the secret counsel of God. And Jesus is very quick to deflect such thinking that such and such happens, and this is God's punishment on me. What did I do to, to, to make this happen? You know, um, there's a scene in Luke 13 where a tower falls about near the pool of Siloam. A tower falls on some people and kills them. And people are wondering the same thing. Oh, man, tower fell on them. I wonder what they did, those bad people. I wonder what their problem was. You know what Jesus says? He, he puts all that foolishness to rest. He says... Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. He's going, no, 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 don't think that way. Don't think that way. I mean, we're all, you're, you're, all you sinners are deserving of death. The reason that the disciples are asking him such questions is that there were um, reasons floating around their, their uh, era that would make them think that way, okay? Th- there was a, uh, a sense... Uh, like there is today, of reincarnation. It's really from pagan religions. Um, karma. You heard of karma? Um, uh, yeah, the disciples say in uh, chapter 16 of Matthew, let me get there real quick. Um, the disciples come to the district of uh, Caesarea Philippi. He asks his disciples, who do you say that the Son of Man is? Jesus asks his disciples, who, who, who do people say that I am? And uh, they answer, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Why are they saying that? Because reincarnation, like our day, was thought of their day. They were thinking karma. You know, you live a good enough life and you come back as such and such. Is that it, Jesus? You know, he's saying, who do people say I am? They're saying, well, you know, the people who believe in reincarnation think you might be Elijah. Uh, or they, they think you might be a Jeremiah or a, or a prophet or something. Okay, so that was a prevalent idea in their day. How about this? Sins of the fathers, taken from uh, Exodus 20, verse 5. Uh, they're going, oh, well, you know, Exodus 20, verse 5, you know, uh, judgment upon generation upon generation. They go, oh, this man or his parents. Uh, is, if it's not reincarnation, is it that? Is it that? Um, well, you know, folks, that, it's not to say that uh, disease can't be passed on from parent to child, uh, that uh, habit can't be passed on from parent to child, sin propensity you got a hot-tempered man in the house, or you've got a man who beats his wife, tends to produce wife beaters. That's sin passed on. How about this? Uh, Pink Floyd, I, this, uh, my second Pink Floyd reference of the day. We had one out in our rehearsal this morning. But um, uh, mama's going to make all of your nightmares come true. You ever heard that? Mama's going to put all of her fears into you. Um, Mama's going to keep you right here under her wing. She won't let you fly, but she might let you sink. Mama's going to put all of her fears into you. I'm not saying that um, sin can't get passed down generationally, and that's no indictment against all mothers either, by the way. But I'm just saying that our behaviors, you know, I knew a guy who, who uh, is Tim in here? Yeah, we had an old friend who, um, the guy quit uh, uh, chewing tobacco. 
and then he started again secretly, and uh, his wife found out about it because the son was walking up to the house plants going, he saw dad do it. (laughs) She knew he was back on the tobacco because the kid was spitting in the house plants. So so they're saying, oh, yeah, well, um, so maybe this guy got punished because of his parents and that, got, that, that judgment got passed down. Uh, Jesus, Jesus uh, gets rid of that very quickly, decisively. I'll tell you in one second. A third belief was this, that, and this is kind of a bizarre one, that a baby could actually sin in the womb. That was another theory, that a baby could sin in the womb. You know, I don't know if you have womb rage or a gambling problem or something. I don't, I don't know how you could do that, but... Um, Jesus answers all those things decisively. He says in verse 3, it was not that this man sinned or his parents. Don't think that way. Guys, don't think that way. This thing happened. Oh, I must have caused it. I'm not saying there aren't consequences. If you rob a bank, you might go to jail. If, if you steal my car you can't, and repent, you can't keep it. There are consequences to sin, Okay. But Jesus is very quick to say, don't, 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 don't torture yourself. Oh, this thing happened to me. I wonder what I did. Stop that. It was not that this man sinned, says our Savior, or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We'll talk about that more in a second. But remember our point. The man was born blind. What we're supposed to see is utter inability on the part of the subject are supposed to make a spiritual connection with that. The gospel writer wants us to. Here's a good quote to apply it to your life. Uh, A.W. Pink says this. This is just thorough and great. He says, the mind of the sinner is at enmity against God, and he hates the Christ of God. He may be very religious and appear to be quite pious, but the, let the light of God be turned upon him. Let the bubble of his righteousness be punctured. Let the awful depravity be exposed. Let the claims of Christ be pressed upon him. And he is not only skeptical, but furious. You can imagine what a hard uh, message that would be to preach. Um, If you haven't lived a satisfactory life morally, there is no hope for you before the living God. Hmm? How about this? You can't live a satisfactory moral life before the living God. What? What? That is certainly terribly offensive. Uh, You couldn't possibly do good enough. Wow. If you don't believe in the Savior, you'll be eternally punished. Wow, that doesn't look good on the brochure. Um, How about this? In fact, you've never truly done anything good in your whole life. You can imagine how hard a message that would be to preach back then. Same thing today. Same exact thing. You know, our staff is talking about all kinds of things Uh, pressing on the church right now. Um, The biblical family unit is one of them. What constitutes a home? Uh, A male and female with children. Um, There's a lot of pressure on that right now, and a lot of churches are tanking, throwing out their theology, bending God's word, uh, ignoring the clear teachings of the scriptures. Um, Lots of pressures, but you know what? The gospel is the same. It's just as hard. That, that's, just a, that's just a sin issue and a cultural issue that happens to be prevalent right now. Um, the, the gospel is exactly the same. Guys, we are utterly 
separated from the holiness of God in our sin. There's no ability, there's no efforts, there's no thing that you can do to climb out of the hole or climb out of debt or get your account right before God. Nothing. You can't do it. You are a sinner. You were named a rebel from the womb. The only answer is the light of the world. The only answer is the way, the truth, the life, this Jesus Christ who died on a cross in the place of the sinner. He's the only answer and has always been the only answer. All right, second point, God's canvas. Um, His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? Verse 2, this man or his parents said he was born blind. Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but here it is, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Why was this man born blind? More personally, uh, why do any of us suffer? And, uh, you know, if we haven't suffered, we will. We all suffer. Um, but this, this, of course, this, this has to do with a, a man in redemptive history. It's being recorded in the Scriptures. Um, this is a very important scenario, an encounter with the living Savior. I get that. But I'm saying that an immediate application is it spills over into our lives. We go, why is this happening to me? Listen to this again. And, and by the way, you like my little words up there, God's canvas? I thought of that. Oh, Millie just walked out, but I, canvas. I like that. You know, it's the, it's the dark background with white letters on it, so the white letters pop. Why was this man born blind? It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, you just settle your heart on that answer for a second. Do you see what just happened to all the experiences of your life, Christian? I mean, they're loaded with meaning. It's, it's not just this stumbling through life and things happen to you and it, it's all a bunch of coincidence. But, I mean, God, everything passes through the, the hands of the sovereign Lord. And all of your experiences have meaning. Um, think about this. What good things do you currently have possession of? You have good things like family. You might have home, a home. You might have health. Uh, you might have a good job. What hard things are you going through? We'll give you the same list. You might have family, hard things, home, hard things. You might have job, hard things. You might have health, hard things. Application for your life. All of our experiences mean something. All of our experiences, friends, Christians, fall into the framework of God working all things together for your good. Not just his good, but your good. He's working it all together for your good. You think, what good could possibly come out of the situation? Well, here's your answer. That the works of God might be displayed. Um, I'll tell you, this situation with my family up north is just so sick and bitter, and my heart is in a knot. I mean, it's just in a knot. I lay in bed, and it's in a knot. I live my days, and I'm in a knot. I'm walking around. I'm just in a, I'm just in a knot. And uh, I'm not saying that I have not s- surrendered it to God at, at quite a few points and, and find an ease, but I mean, there's just this, this heavy this thing I'm dragging around, you know? You have that, don't you? It's got meaning. 
And the meaning is that God's um, work might be displayed in that. Not, not just to other people, but to your own soul. I can tell you this, that God has shown me things that I wouldn't have known if I weren't in this situation. I don't know what else to say, except, you know, you come to the end of your resources, you come to the end of yourself. Um, I'll say this too, just as a minister of the gospel, I'm tangled up in everybody else's stuff. Um, I'm in other people's things. I I preached a funeral Thursday night. Uh, I'm in other families' sorrows. Um, And then it's plopped on my doorstep, and I'm like, ugh. It's like a doctor who goes to a doctor, and they're scared to go to a doctor. Uh, I know those people. Um, I'm I'm just telling you that God shows us things through our suffering that we otherwise wouldn't see. Uh, Two words of encouragement. History is heading somewhere, Um, and you're a part of it. And the second thing is your experiences have meaning because God is teaching your soul through them. My advice, run toward God rather than away from God. Don't don't ball up and think, well, I'm going to have to cloister myself and handle this, and then I'll pop out and, uh, and, and... Reengaged. Um, wow. Put, put your, his earbud fell out. <laughs> All right, well, that seems like a good point, the time to move on. Uh, our last point. Is that Brogdon? Hang on a sec. Nice, that's awesome. <laughs> um, go and wash. Go, go and wash our last point. Oh, my goodness. All right, so look. Uh, having said these things, he spits on the ground, he makes mud with the saliva, he anoints the man's eyes with the mud, and says to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. We'll talk about this more next week, the, these two verses next week, but I wanted to fold them into this, this, um, this hunk this week, too. There's a lot more to say about all that. But um, basically, there are all kinds of cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs idea, ideas about what Jesus is doing by spitting on the ground. Some people are like, oh, you know, his, his saliva was magic. Uh, yeah, um, and some people go, oh, well, he took the dust of the earth to make something new with the dust of the earth, and okay, may, maybe so, I could see how you could, I could think that, but I, I don't think you can authoritatively preach that. Um, what was he really doing? Well, I've got one for you that I did not even read in a commentary. I, I, I read this years and years ago, and I have treasured it, treasured it, um, you know, Many times when Jesus healed, he would just speak and it would happen. He would, say, he would say to the wind and the waves, calm down, and they would. He would say, you're healed, and somebody would be healed. Your sins are forgiven, they would be forgiven. He would exercise his divine fiat, and, and a thing would happen. Uh, other times, he might touch somebody. Here, he spits on the ground. Weird, isn't it? But imagine if you were born blind and you had total blackness, and this guy is talking to you, and he says he's going to heal you, he spits on the ground, and you feel him put something on your eyes. What would you think? Wow, this person is ministering personally to me. It's not, he's not putting mud on everybody's eyes. He's putting mud on my eyes, and he's touching me. And not only is he touching me, he's touching me right at the point of, of trouble. I mean, what an intimate. He could have just said, eh. Be restored, sight, and it would have happened. But instead, he does this personal thing, and he touches him. It's like, I am healing you here. 
What a personal act of, of, uh, of grace by the Savior. I just have always marveled at that. Um, I can't believe other people don't rave about that. It's, it's, it's wonderful. But here's the main thing. Um, the man must now respond. Jesus has put this stuff on his eyes, and he says, go and wash. Siloam, the pool of Siloam. Well, like I say, we'll talk about it more next week, but it means sent. So Jesus sends him to the pool of Siloam, full of significance. And uh, it says in verse 7, he went and he washed and he came back seeing. What does the man's obedience show? It shows that he is believing. He could have said, oh, are you kidding me? What did you put some mud on my eyes? I mean, it's, you just, uh, he, he says, okay, you say do that, I'll do that. And he's got to either feel his way to the pool of Siloam or get some help to get maneuvered over to the pool of Siloam. But he goes, he believes, he acts, and that's a, a lesson on faith. He took action because the transaction had taken place in his heart. He believed. And that's the big issue of coming to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. You can say, oh, well, I've heard about the Savior. And oh, I, this man lived 2,000 years ago. Oh, he was the Son of God. Was he really? Oh, he came down. He took a divine nature upon himself. He lived a human life. He died on a cross. Uh, he, he was the king of the Jews. That's pretty mysterious. Um, but, you know, when it, had all, and it all ended, he said, it is finished. Uh, so he, some kind of work was accomplished on there. And now you say that it's, um, it's Jesus dying for my sin personally, huh? Hmm. That's a lot of interesting facts. But once you take that reality and you say, this is my heart, okay, I'm going to step over the razor's edge. I'm going to believe it. It's... Uh, it's uh, fanciful, it's otherworldly, but if this is what you say is true, God, I'm going to believe it, and I'm going to transfer my belief from here to here. That's why Jesus put mud on the guy's eyes and said, go and wash, so that this would happen in the guy's heart. He went and washed, and uh, he regained his sight. All right, I close with this. This one writer I was reading, he had a couple of nice turns of phrase, and he said, um, that, that um, this situation was a pedestal for the display of God's glory. I rather like that. Your hardship, your heartache, it's not just yours. It's a pedestal for the display of God's glory. Don't you forget that. Don't ball up. Remember that God is showing your soul something. Don't waste the experience God is revealing something to you in your heart and perhaps to someone else too and maybe even the world. Second uh, uh, idea this guy had was this. He said, our time for service to God lasts only as long as our lives. <laughs> Here we are, living our lives as Christians. It, it builds in an urgency. If all of our experiences are a pedestal for God's glory, it builds an urgency in because we're only here for a short time and then we're taken out and we go to be with him. So, so keep that on the front of your mind, that it's a pedestal for God's glory. Um, there, there should be an urgency in our lives, and at the same time, there can be a sweet and tender place, even in the face of uh, hard things. Um, your life and situation are a vehicle for God's glory, and could there be anything um, more noble or comforting than that? Let's pray. Father, uh, we are a pedestal for your glory, all of our lives, every single instant, uh, the happy ones and the sad ones. And uh, we pray, Lord, that um, as we mature and we discover how blind we really were 
and how uh, bright uh, is the eternal light of the world, uh, we pray, Lord, that you would give our souls courage. Um, Comfort us, Lord, uh, brace us, and uh, cause us to um, submit ourselves uh, more freely to you. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, y'all. Appreciate it.